Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalists for beautiful worship today. Turn again in your Bible to James chapter 2, playing favorites. A fellow called up the golf course and he was asking for a tee time. I'm sorry, sir, but we don't have any open time on the course today. Yeah, well, what if Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods showed up? Would you find a tea time for those guys? Well, of course we would, said the course manager. Well, I just happen to know they're not coming today, so I'll take their time <laughs> on the golf course. Well, the manager said to the employee, trying to emphasize that all the employees are treated equally. And now when the boss's son starts tomorrow... He'll have no special privileges, no special authority. You treat him just like you would anybody else who's due to take over the business in two years. You hear me? We all have a tendency to play favorites, but it is so unlike God to do so. We don't realize it, but we tend to slice the pie just a little wider for the pretty girl. We tend to evaluate people based on some criteria unrelated to any just or rational reasoning. Let's admit it. We all play favorites. In fact, this morning, we can't even deal with it until we're honest with ourselves about our problem that deep down, Maybe sometimes even unknowingly, we play favorites. Maybe we have a, a prejudice against people with a low socioeconomic class, holding on to some false conclusion that they have for sure, they have contributed to their own plight. They're responsible for their own predicament. It's just easier not to drive to that part of town and pretend as if they don't exist. Yet oddly enough, as we see in our text in James today, that Jesus had a special place in his ministry for the poor. Some of us might have a, a prejudice against elderly people, impatient, pushing them, wish they'd move on. They don't have anything else to contribute any longer. But what does James say? In fact, what James says to us this morning finds all kinds of cousins in the old text, Proverbs 28, 21. Showing partiality is not good. Leviticus 19, 15, do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Or in Luke 20, even Jesus' opponents realize that he plays no favorites when they ask Luke 20, 21, Teacher, we know that you're fair. We know that you do not show favoritism. He didn't, did he? Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin, a great theologian, did not impress Jesus any more than the immoral woman at the well in Samaria. He has conversations with both of them. Jesus expressed the same interest in anonymous peasant children as he did adults of, of great social standing. In fact, in Acts chapter 10, after at Joppa, Peter's had this liberating vision of the sheet and all the various animals, he concludes by saying, 
truly, I now perceive that God shows no partiality. The entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, God is always absolutely impartial. I own a little, and might I add, very, very little stock in Wendy's. You've heard of it. Eat there today, please. I, I found myself eating there so often when I was at Baylor that I decided, you know, I need to join them because they're killing me, and I did, and I bought a few shares of stock, and at least now I feel guiltless because I'm contributing to myself. It's kind of an awkward logic, but it works for me while living in Waco. I was one of my usual trips to my favorite hamburger joint. I noticed dramatic changes. New tile on the floor, new carpet on the floor, new tables, new chairs, new countertops. Why, everything was new. A new salad bar. Even the parking lot was jet black with bright yellow stripes. And they had a crane up on the top with a small paintbrush painting the top of the sign that was 50 feet in the air. And I asked the manager, why all these expensive changes? You know, it's my profit now. Why all these expensive changes? The place looked okay before. Haven't you heard? Dave Thomas will be here on Friday. Everything was totally redone. Then I thought to myself, well, now, isn't that special? I own Wendy's stock, do I not? I buy a lot of hamburgers. I probably eat more of those hamburgers than Dave himself. And I come to this store a hundred times a year and not even a paintbrush on Howie's behalf when he shows up. And now 200 grand to get ready for a 10-minute visit as Dave goes through Waco. Never mind that he owns over 50% of the stock and... I can get on my calculator with six digits and the fraction won't even show up. <laughs> we were not treated equally, were we? They will probably, probably gave him his hamburger, probably gave him a, a chicken sandwich too, and I always have to pay for mine. Didn't take me long to see who was important and who wasn't. There is no Howie's hamburger on the menu. There should be, but there's not. But there is a Dave's Deluxe up there, bright and shining. James points just such a picture, but it's not a hamburger joint, it's a church, and they're showing partiality. Two men come in the back doors, and one is dressed, it says in the Greek, splendid and bright. They translate it in fine linen, but the Greek says, dressed splendid and bright. He comes in, he's wearing gold rings, I would say a nugget on every knuckle, knuckle as he walked through maybe a, a politician or a dignitary, and they say to him, here, here, you sit here in this, this place of honor. Here, give him your hymn book. Yank it out of another man. Here, you need a hymn book. I, he needs a program. Here, give it to him. Are you comfortable, sir? And then another man walks in, and his fabric is threadbare, filthy, Instead of the royal treatment, they say to him, hey, go sit over there on the floor somewhere and try to be quiet, would you? A place of humiliation and subordination. James gives us a one-point sermon this morning, and this is it. Favoritism denies the core of Christianity. 
Favoritism denies the core of Christianity. Wouldn't it be wonderful if church was the one place of all places where everybody in every way was treated the same? This week I spent time perusing the periodicals on research on favoritism, and I, I found it in every form. didn't matter if it was the United Kingdom or the United States or Turkey. Every country admitted it takes place. At the University of Birmingham in England, they polled 14,000 pupils in England's education system, and the majority of students in England's education system said, I have not been treated fairly. In fact, they did a study moderating 2,000 teachers and how they marked the papers of 11-year-old students. At the end of the study, they said that there were some personal feelings within the teachers that colored the marks on the paper, and the teachers at the end admitted it. Or another article by Eric Butterman on Scholastic.com says that we make up our minds about people in seven seconds. When we interact with someone, we, we, in seven seconds we've decided if we like them, if we don't like them, if they're high or low on our scale, we try to find a pigeonhole for them, and we put them where we want them in seven seconds. Makes you nervous to meet people now, doesn't it? Seven seconds to make an impression. Life is so complex, and I guess our minds, for simplicity's sake, we find a pigeonhole for everybody, and you think you know me in seven seconds, and I think I understand you in seven seconds. Paul Gorski at St. Paul, Minnesota's Hamlin University says, the reality is that most of us are more comfortable with people who are like us than people who are unlike us. One teacher says the way that she fights favoritism as she tries to find something special about every child in the classroom, what makes him shine? What makes her shine? And she tries to recall that about each student. Tony Greenwald of the University of Washington, Thomas Pettigrew of the University of California did their own study, and what they found was earth-shattering. That discrimination is not usually based on hatred. That's what we're told in the news. It's really not based on some deep-seated hatred, but rather most discrimination is based upon small acts of favoritism. An employer is considering two candidates for a job, and they both come in for the interview, and one has a schooling much like his, and, and one is the same race that he is, and the other one has a different story, a different narrative, a different color of skin, and he may even unknowingly choose the one that is most like himself. Favoritism. What James is saying, reflecting on the words of the Old Testament and knowing how our Lord had lived his life, when no favoritism says that God's people, the church, are to treat everybody the same. My research this week, I read a story about a mom who, who threw a birthday party for her daughter and a certain few girls were invited to the party and they had the limousine pull up to the curbside of the school and those special girls got to get the limousine while the other students' toes on the curb 
watch the special girls drive off for the special day at the party. It really makes a difference in children's lives in their formative years if they are treated with respect like everybody else. One preacher who, remember when he was a child that they lost the family farm, they moved into a little four-room home, and there was no indoor plumbing. There was one spigot. It was outside. There was no electricity. It was on the south side of town. And as he said, and I quote, we were as poor as Job's turkey at the time. His sister was entering high school. She was having trouble with her complexion, kind of pockmarked face, and she'd try to arrange her hair to, to cover up her complexion. No money for the dermatologist. She just tried to cover up those bad marks on her face. And one day, his sister got an invitation from Cullen Lau to Cullen Lau's birthday party. Now, you don't know Cullen Lau. But she was the prettiest girl in the school, and her dad made the most money of all the dads in the school, and they lived not on the south side of town with outdoor bathroom. They lived on Main Street. He says, at age 70, my sister could recall the day she found the invitation to Cullen Lyle's slumber party. Everybody wants an invitation to the party. And that is the essence of God's kingdom, that there is a place at the table for everybody. Everybody's invited. You're so good as a church to welcome people. I'm not beating you up today. I'm celebrating who you are. Sociologist Gerhard Linsky made a, a study of Christian attitudes in the Detroit area and basically found that the Protestant churches liked for people who were just like them to join their churches. They didn't want any difference in social status amongst the members in the congregation. And then I read a story about a lady who lived on the wrong side of the tracks, and she was gloriously saved and delivered from her demons by the Lord, and, and she had committed her life to Christ, and she decided to join a very fashionable church. She went to the pastor to, to talk about membership in the church, and he said, well, now, not so fast, not so fast. I want you to go home and think about it for a whole week before you decide if this is the church that you really ought to join. Let's not get hasty in choosing a church, dear lady. She came back and said she'd thought about it all week, and in fact, she did still want to join the church. And he said, well, now, wait a minute. I've I got another assignment for you. I want you to go home and read your Bible for an hour every day. That's what we do in our church. And then you'll know if you really, really want to be a member of this church. She was reluctant, but she complied and went home all week and 
read her Bible for an hour every day, came back and said, yes, she was still convinced she wanted to join that church. Now, wait a minute. One more thing the pastor said. You go home and you pray every day this week, and you really, really, really make sure that the Lord wants you to join this particular church. The woman left a third time. The pastor never saw her again. Ran into her awkwardly one day on the street, and he felt like out of obligation he had to ask. And he said, what did you decide, and why didn't you come back? And she said, oh, I did exactly what you asked me to do. I prayed every day asking the Lord if I should join your church. And she said, while I was praying, the Lord said to me, don't worry about not being able to get into that church. I've been trying to get in there for years, and I've not been able (laughs) to get in. Look at verse 5. Listen, my brethren, did God not choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? There was an uncanny number of poor folks in the Palestinian church to whom James writes. And God had selected those who were poor in the material realm to be rich in the spiritual realm. James asks a question as if it demands a yes. Look around you. God has chosen the poor. We see people as we are trained to see people. And once we pigeonhole someone, that's the way, exactly the way we interpret him or her. Bruce Larson tells a story about going to a family reunion. They planned some extra days just to be leisurely on their vacation. He had his kids in the car, even some grandkids in the car. And as they were driving down the road, they saw a sign into the park that said, Naturist Convention. Oh, that sounds interesting, a naturist convention. I think we'll check that out. They, they read it like naturalist convention. Be careful, there's a difference between a naturist convention and a naturalist convention. And they thought it might be interesting, and they were driving in the park going to the naturist convention, and, well, they then soon realized that a naturist convention was a nice way of saying a nudist convention. And before long, they they spotted a a group of nude bike riders in the park. And one of the grandchildren shouted out, look, mom, look, mom and dad, look, they don't have on safety helmets. (laughs) The child had always been taught to wear her safety helmet. Our eyes are trained a certain way, and that is all that we can see. Everybody else was seeing other things, but the child saw the lack of the safety helmet. And then I wonder what you see when you look at people. Did did Paul not write in Galatians 3.28 that there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, free nor slave? In 1 Samuel 16, when God is choosing a king, he says to Samuel, don't look at the outside. I don't look at the face. Fred Craddock tells about a time of poverty in his own family. The family he grew up in was socially inadequate. They were the family that the church provided the clothes for. 
and the Christmas gifts. He said there was a group of women from the Ladies' Aid Society at the Central Christian Church in Humboldt, Tennessee, and they brought a box of things for me and my siblings to wear. There was a, a brand new pair of Buster Brown shoes, and they were just little Fred's size. His mother said, the ladies have brought us clothes, children, and now we shall start going to Sunday school. I didn't want to go to Sunday school because I was afraid that it would be just like school. What does your dad do? And where did y'all go on vacation? And all those kinds of questions that just made the poor nervous. But the preacher says, the one who got those little Buster Brown shoes that he later learned were girl shoes, but he wore them anyway. I was never embarrassed in church. I don't remember ever feeling any different, any less, any more than anybody else in church. And from the age of nine until now, an old man, I've had this little jubilee going on in my mind. There is no place in the world like church. There is no place in the world like church. You're that kind of place, and I'm glad. God loves us all the same. The gymnast who stands on the podium in Brazil with a gold medal around her neck, she is no more loved by God than the twisted little girl in the wheelchair. The man with three vacation homes, one at the beach and one in the mountains and one in Europe, is no more valued by God than the lady who sleeps in a cardboard box. The professor who comes in demands a million-dollar lab, and some of those guys do require that these days, and a seven-person staff to look under the high-powered microscope to discover great things about the created cosmos. God thinks no more of him than he does the kindergarten child who just signed up for special education. It's what James says. My brethren, do not hold your faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. In fact, do you notice how he finishes it in verse 10? For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point, he has become guilty of all. You've never read that in context before. The context is, whoever shows favoritism is guilty of breaking every law of the Old Testament. Verses 1 through 9, 
Verse 10 has to be read in relation to 1 through 9. Favoritism. It's a big deal with God. It's a big deal with us. Let us pray. Oh God, what if we had your eyes? We could see folks as you see them. Oh God, what if we had your heart? We could welcome people as you welcome them. Oh God, maybe there's someone here today who needs a Savior that loves us who we are just as we are. Maybe there are others who would come and be a part of a congregation like this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.